This episode of Geekorama is sponsored by Stoli Vodka, who have rebranded to show their unwavering support for the people of Ukraine. Stoli, the cool and delicious beast from the East, is the only vodka with a heart as big as its flavour. Unlike Stoli, we stand with Ukraine. Blogadar you vast, Stoli. Between the time when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of. And don't do this! Mass movement destined to bear the jeweled crown of geekdom upon its troubled brow. It is we, mass movement's chroniclers, who alone can tell thee of its saga. Let us tell you of the days of geek adventure. Well, we got a packed show for you this time. We're going to talk about some new books. We've got some tunes for you and a couple of interviews. One with Joel Meadows, the head honcho of Tripwire and the power behind Bristol Comic Con. And one with my favourite beer writer, Adrian Tierney Jones, who has a new book out called The United Kingdom of Beer. So let's kick things off with a blast from the past, shall we? This is Adrenaline OD. The song is called Die for a Cause and it's taken from their Let's Barbecue 12 inch, which is available on Beer City Records now. That was Adrenaline OD with Die for Cause. So let's get straight down to it and talk about books, shall we? First up this time, it's Killer Queens, which is written by David uh, David M. Boa and brought to full colour life by the artistic duo of Claudio 
Claudia Barboni and Harry Saxon. Okay, so it's uh, a ripping, adrenalised science fiction adventure that's equal parts Barbarella and Flash Gordon, and it's a deliciously wicked pop sensibility and uh, tongue-in-cheek sense of humour. It's funny, warm, and thoroughly engaging. Um, if sex, spaceships, ray guns, and sort of post-pounding adventure float your geeky boat, you're going to absolutely adore this book. Uh, it's just a wonderful science fiction romp. And um, it's published by Dark Horse, and you can get it now. And I recommend that you do indeed. Right, time for more tunage. Uh, this next song is called PhD and LSD. It's by Pleased Youth, and it's taken from their Doomsday LP, which is available on Beer City Records uh, right now. Let's get back to the book, shall we? Uh, this time we're going to talk about a book called We Only Kill Each Other, which is written by Stephanie Phillips and illustrated by Peter Krauss and Ellie Wright. It's uh, based on the true story of Jewish gangsters being recruited by the FBI to take out American Nazi sympathizers and extremists in the run-up to World War II, and as you'd expect, it is awesome. Look, all you really need to know about this book is that it looks incredible, the story is all kinds of awesome, and Nazis get wiped off the face of the earth. What more could you want? Look, you know, I am. Um, much as I dislike anybody meeting their end, it's always a good day when Nazis die. <laughs> Nobody can deny that. 
And um, this story is is just it, it catapults you straight into the heart of the period, and you just side with every single thing that these gangsters do. These guys do. I'm I'm telling you, it's so good. Stephanie Phillips has become one of my new favorite writers, and I cannot recommend this book enough. It's published by Dark Horse. It's called We Only Kill Each Other, and it's available from your local comic book store now. Sorry about that, folks. Got a little sort of frog caught in my throat. So um, let's have some more AOD, shall we? This is uh, Rock and Roll Gas Station. It's taken from their Wacky High Jinx 12-inch, which is, funnily enough, released by Beer City Records. So uh, Dave and Bruce, take it away. I recently caught up with my old friend Joel Meadows, the editor of Tripwire, to talk about Bristol Comic Con, and um, I record the conversation. So, yep, this is an interview with Joel Meadows, and this is what Joel had to say about Bristol Comic Con. Well, hello, Joel. It's been a while. Uh, it, has, it has been a while. So, how are you keeping, brother? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Oh. Definitely a lot of different things, but yeah, all good. So, how's Tripwire coming along? Yeah, moment. things are going well. You know, the, the site is ticking over. As you know, we did a second print magazine which came out last November, uh-huh. which was extremely well received. Um, because the first one we did, it was an experiment. It was the first print magazine in like ten years, but you know, we're really proud of it, and even prouder of the second one. <laughs> um, so this is, you know, it's a big year for us. It's our thirtieth anniversary. 
because um, the mag started in 92. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're planning a 30th anniversary book. Um, we're working on the, the comic show in Bristol. Um, and yeah, so think things are good. So let's let's start with the book because you had some quite good news today about that, didn't you? Yes, well, I mean, it's, it's been kind of unofficial, but we've officially announced that Heavy Metal are going to be publishing it um, and, and we're going to be putting it together, which is which is very, very cool news. So 200 pages, a bit of a monster. I think the biggest print thing we've, we've ever put together, actually. But yeah, no, it's, it's very exciting. It's got to be fun. It's got to be fun. But, you yeah. know, to have, to have the name Heavy Metal on the cover of Tripwire, you've got to be, you know, over the moon. Oh, I, I am. I mean, it's a guy called Chris I've been dealing with who's... He sells our advertising for us through a guy called Colin that right. works with his kind of ad agency. But yeah, we've been kind of dealing with them for the last two or three years, but we've been just finessing a few things, just finalizing a few kind of details. But, you know, we're happy now. We've got a good arrangement with them. And yeah, I'm very chuffed. So, so does it mean it's, it's, it's the start of a long-term relationship with them and will Trip be back in print permanently with Heavy Metal? Is this something that will like make it their periodical, their comics periodical? We haven't quite talked about that, but mm-hmm. we'll see how it goes. If, if the book goes well, it wouldn't be averse to having that kind of conversation because, you know, I love print and you do as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, web is fine. You know, internet's cool. You can make changes and it's instant, but there's something about holding a physical book or a magazine in your hands. You know, you get that smell of the fresh thing it's, as you get it in from the printers. Yeah. You, you can't beat it. You can't beat it. Ink gets in your blood. And because we're, we're both old yes. school journalists, that's how we started our career. Yes. We, that means the world to us. That, that smell, that yeah. just, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that, that touch. So let's talk about Bristol because it's moved, because it was Portsmouth and now it's moved to yes. Bristol. So, because yes. Bristol was always famous for having its own Comic Con, but that's gone. So, yes. So let's talk about Bristol. So explain what 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 the show is and the history behind it. Of course, we 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 did the two years of Portsmouth. You know, we learned a great deal from the guys that we worked with at the Guildhall. Uh, but we just felt it was time to kind of create our own show mm-hmm. because we were consultants at Portsmouth, and we just wanted to do something that we we're kind of doing ourselves as our own show. So. So, as you say, Bristol had, um, you know, a lot of history, had 13, 14 years of comics. You know, it was a proper comics comic show prior to the Thought Bubble, before all these other shows we've had, like The Lakes. You know, at one point, it was just Bristol. Right. And we, we, just, we just thought it's got such history as a city, and it is a cool place. You're not far from Bath. You've got a really good comics community there. You've got a lot of great creators based in and around Bristol. Um, and it's just, and it's got two big universities, you know, Mm. lots of kind of um, you know graffiti guys it's got a really nice feel it's a great city <clears throat> you know because the thing about London obviously I'm a London and I've always lived in London but there's a lot of shows it's kind of overcrowded London there's too mm. many shows yeah so one we don't want to step on other people's toes and we also want to kind of establish our own mark again basically so we thought that Bristol would be the perfect place to do it well, I mean, Bristol had its own Comic Con before because it was its own, you know, Bristol Comic Con, Bristol Comic Show that was in the Mercure, then yes. it was in the, the old yes, Tram exactly. Shed and, and exactly. train station. Yeah. So <laughs> it has a history of Comic Cons anyway. Um, and that, since that disappeared, it feels like you're going to be filling that void and, and bringing something different and new and vibrant to Bristol anyway with this show. Yes. Well, certainly hope so. Right. Well, I hope, hope that's the plan. So who's coming and who's guesting? Who, who's on the agenda? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's a good, as I said. Oh, here goes the internet connection. We've got, we've got pretty worked on American flag. Yes. 
Because if you want me to start again, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. frozen. Cool. Yeah. Okay, Howard Chaykin, who obviously was creative American flag, and he does Hey Kids comics for um, Image. He's, he's an interestingly outspoken figure. Right. Um, so we've got him, we've got Brian Stelfreeze, who worked on Black Panther. Oh, I know Stelfreeze. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that, that, he's a, he's yeah, a big yeah. talent. You know, yeah. He's a very talented man. We've got Jimmy Palmiotti, who's got you know an amazing CV. He started life as an inker. Pa- Palmiotti's coming coach. as well. Yes, and so oh. is Amanda Connor, of course, because, you know... Oh, my goodness. Husband oh and wife, my, so, oh, you know... Yeah. So, so we've got Claire Monty, Amanda Connor's worked on Power Girl and, you know, Birds of Prey, and, again, mm. very talented artists. And, you know, Palmiotti, as well as, you know, being a writer, he's he's run a lot of Kickstarter campaigns, so he's an amazing man. He's really adapted. Um, and he's a good guy. He's a huge comics fan, like an old-school comics guy. Yeah. Uh, so we've got them. We've got uh, Jorge Ford. Jack, who's doing Danger Street for DC, and he's done Batman, another very talented artist, like the younger artist. Um, so we've got him, we've got Carlos Pacheco, because Aerosmith is coming back, or it's already back, I believe, Image. Uh, we've got Sean Phillips, of course, criminal and reckless, fantastic artist, incredibly talented. Incredible artist. Show poster. Uh, we've got Jock coming from Devon. Um, who else have we got? Mike Collins, who do a lot of comic stuff, he's done a lot of TV. People might not be aware he- Okay, so that's gone again. So there, Joel. And I've got with some other people as well as Lee Garbett. Right. He works on Doctor Strange. So um, who else? I mean, it's a ton. I, we wanted to give it, you know, I wanted to create a really good list of people. There's some of the Star Wars guys as well, isn't there? The Star Wars Well, yeah, there's Gary, there's, well, there's Gary Erskine, of course, ah. um, who's a big name, was a Scottish comic artist, very talented, who does his own kind of roller derby comics. And as you say, he's done some Star Wars stuff. And there's, a, ri- a, great there's a writer as well for Doctor Who, because you well, froze him in the well, Oh, sorry. There's, well, there's Kevin Scott, yes. of course, who writes. Yes, sorry, I, I, I've forgotten the whole list. <laughs> people we have coming is that I have to wrap my brains, which is a good thing. No, well, so there's Kevin Scott and there's Rob Williams. You're two Bristol-based guys. They're both local. Rob Williams is Portishead, and Kevin's in the city as well. So it's, we have to. And we've got Lawrence Campbell coming from Kevin's as well, who's been working with Rob Williams on Sword of Hyperborea, fantastic Hellboy series. So, so I, we've just got an amazing lineup of people. This is the thing. We, 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 I'm, I'm desperate to meet Rob Williams. Just to talk about some He's of a good guy. He's a really nice and guy. Chris is absolutely chomping the bit to try and meet Kevin Scott to try and get some of the Star Wars secrets out of him. So, of course. Um, you know, we will be out and about as well as on the table. So, are, the, are, you, are, you do, are there Great. lots of talks set up? Or are, we, are there going to be presentations? Well, there's, there's, there's going to be a, a mix. There's going to be some traditional talks, so some traditional panels. Yeah. There'll also be workshops. So, um, people. Well, I'm running like a separate stream where people will be able to get tickets for, for workshops as well as for the panels. Right. So they'll get sort of 90 minutes with Howard Chicken, 90 minutes with Brian Stelfreeze, 90 minutes with Jimmy Palmiotti. You know, so these are people kind of sharing their secrets. This is unusual because this people don't normally get this kind of access no. to, In, to these creators. Yeah. It's, you know, they get to see a regular panel where they just talk about their career. But this is, this is I think this is something very special. Mm. This is something very unusual. So people get the opportunity to do that. And also because we're not a huge show, you know, it's a lot more intimate so that people can talk to them. And, you know, in terms of the workshops, we're capping the numbers. We're going to have, I think, 30 people in a room, you know. So, it's like, you know, I mean, who can imagine, you know, when you're a kid, the opportunity to kind of speak to and sit with and kind of, you know, share the knowledge of these guys is, I think it's pretty special. It's incredible. So let's talk Turkey. Where can people yes. get tickets? What are the dates? And how much will they cost? 
Well, the ticket prices, they vary. There's a Saturday ticket and a Sunday ticket, and there's obviously a weekend ticket. And there's also a VIP ticket because people get early access to the show um, on the on the, uh, the Friday before it opens, so they get to see you know, the, the space before anyone else. Um, I mean, they're available on Skiddle and also on Eventbrite. I don't remember the URLs, I'm afraid, so we might have to put them in sort of after, once we... Uh, once we wrap this up, but uh, I'll get that sorted. I will get that sorted. Um, don't worry. And we, we, you know, price wise, we try to keep it, you know, reasonably fair. Mm. We, want to, we want to encourage people to come. I mean, we we like to feel like we're giving people value for money. Mm-hmm. You know, for for each of these, and they, the, the workshops are are they are ticketed separately, but they are, as I said, they're, they're a very special thing. You know, they are they are they're above and beyond what people would normally get at a show. But it's nice that you've they, done they this get, as individual add-ons, so people can choose what they want to see and when yeah. they want to see it. You know, yeah, it's just, exactly. so if you do want the add-ons, you can add them on. If you don't want the add-ons, you don't have to add them well, on. Exactly. If you want to come to it as yeah. a regular comic show, yeah. you can still come and do that. If you want to attend the workshops, as you say, you can pick up, you know, a ticket for each of them, you know, yeah. as you go. Yeah. So it's the beginning of September, I believe, that we it's are going the to be. Fourth of September. So yeah. yeah. So it's the first weekend. In September this year, at the Double Street at uh, Hilton, which is at Redcliffe in Bristol, which is a, a five-minute walk from Temple Mead Station, mm-hmm. it's incredibly convenient. Um, and we, we have a few rooms available as well for people to book at the hotel. Um, they're kind of selling at the moment, but people can get like a special deal if they go to tripworkcomiccons.com um, and search on there. There's there is a link through to hotels. You know, so people are able to grab to grab a hotel. It is a really nice hotel. It used to be kind of slightly, well, not quite as nice in the old days, but they've done <laughs> a lot of work to it. And it's it's a really nice place, and it's a really brilliant position. It's you know, for people that either haven't been to Bristol or yeah. they have been to Bristol, you know, it's, it's a really good spot geographically. It's it's walking distance to everything really. You can get into the centre. You can walk to Park Street in like ten, fifteen minutes. There's plenty of parking there as well, car parking. So it's, it's you know, it's yeah, there is fun. a very big car yeah. park at the hotel, so it's. It's nice, and Redcliffe is a nice area as well. Yeah. So, no, it's it's going to be fun. I mean, I'm looking forward. To, I'm looking forward to hanging out again because it's been too. Yeah, of course. It's and been... I think this will be the first of many. This will be the, the part of the new convention calendar, and we want to make this a regular event. We want to keep building it up, but we have to start a little bit smaller. Yeah. But we want to grow it organically, and you know, we always used to love coming to Bristol. It was one of our. It was a highlight of our show year. It was. It was my calendar. It was. It was top of my calendar year because you go there yeah, and you invariably end up hammering someone like gets, Jasper Bark or, or, or Brady from Plainy. You, you, well, exactly. you, see, you see people in the bar and you'd hang out with them till all hours and it's very sociable. Mm. It was an old school sociable UK comic show and we're trying to bring some of that back hopefully. You know, because we, we had great times there and we, we want to, we want to, you know, give that on to the younger generation who weren't around at the time and hopefully some guys who were at Bristol at the time to come back and you know re-engage with the city well, with, be, with a UK comic show you'll be dragging these old farts over from Wales again so you know it'll all be well, fun well of course <laughs> so it's been an absolute pleasure Joel um, Tim thank you thanks for having me on mate at any time come back on we talk comics next time rather than just shows of course of course no, thank you I'm always I'm always up for it as you know right so I shall see you in September and Indeed, looking forward to it it's going to be a blast Joel thank you sir it's yeah. been an absolute pleasure thank you for your time thank, thank you so much no Cheers, problem. thank you Alright, back to the books. Kazar, Land of Lord of the Savage Land. Uh, it's written by Zach Thompson and it's drawn and coloured by Jermaine Garcia and Mateus Lopez. And it's an inspiring, involving story about Kazar saving his homeland from a parasitic invasion. Um, but if you dig a little deeper, 
Uh, it's more about personal evolution, the war against climate change, escaping the past, the meaning and reality of family, and the circle of life as one generation passes the, passes the torch to the next. <laughs> you know, it's a Khazar story. It's set, in the fa- it's set in the savage land. There are dinosaurs and all kinds of strange goings on in this tale. Um, it looks fantastic. It'll hook you from the first page to the last, and it's published by Marvel. What more do you want? Oh, yeah, that's one more you want. It's actually seriously good. Yep, that's Kazar, Lord of the Savage Land. It's out now and available from your local comic book store. So, again, let's have another tune and sticking with the theme. This is Adrenaline OD. The song is called Bugs and it's taken from the Humongous Fungus Among Us LP, which, surprisingly, is out now on Beer City Records. Let's get straight back to comic books, shall we? Look, it's no secret that I'm a, I'm a mark for Jeff Lemire. I really am a big fan of his. Um, so, 
jumping straight back into the Black Hammer universe, we're going to talk about the unbelievable Antines. Um, I just adore this latest chapter in this world building, building saga. It's just... It's about the superhero team that never was, that was torn apart by jealousy, mistakes, uh, and, and creation, and demons, and then was brought back together by a need to fix the past. It's fast, it's furious, Lamaya's storytelling is as on point as it ever is, and Tyler Crook's artwork is just mind-blowing. You know, what more do you need from a book? What more could anybody want from a book? It's just incredible. Um, if you haven't signed into the Black Hammer universe yet, yet, yet do yourself a favour, go right back to the beginning and start where you're meant to start at issue one. And then eventually you'll get to the point where you need to read The Unbelievable Unteens. And believe me, folks, you really need to read it. It's published by Dark Horse. It's out now. So, you know, what are you waiting for? Go get yourself a dose of The Unbelievable Unteens. Song time! This is Monogoofy by Bedlam, uh, and you can find it on their final Bedlam LP, which, funnily enough, is released by Beer City Records. So, this is Bedlam, and this is Monogoofy. Alright, moving swiftly on to one of my all-time top 10 creative teams, Sergio Aragones and Mark Avanier and their latest book, Gru Meets Tarzan, in which their sword-wielding, cerebrally challenged hero Gru and his ever-faithful hound Roferto meet the Lord of the Jungle Tarzan and help him defeat a band of merciless slavers. And it might just feature a subplot that the main story is actually built around that involves Sergio, Mark, San Diego Comic-Con and an ill-advised trip to a low-rent safari park. Uh, if you're expecting sort of linear stories that make absolute sense, you're in the wrong place. Don't say you haven't been warned. It's bonkers, it's insane, and it's absolutely brilliant. It's published by Dark Horse, and you can get it from your local comic book store right now. Okay, as I mentioned earlier, I managed to catch up with my uh, favourite beer writer of all time, Adrian Tony Jones, to chat about his books and beer, and here's our chat. Look, folks, the audio was a little off in places as Zoom wasn't playing ball with Adrian and myself that night. So please don't give up on it. Stick with it. The interview really is worth it. Adrian's a hell of a guy. And he knows what he's talking about. Um, I promise it really is really, really worth it. Anyway, without further ado, uh, mass moving people. 
Everybody in Mass Movement Land, it's time to meet Adrian. Sorry, I'm, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm, my wife is just wasted messaging. Um, yeah, it's one of those days, you know. Yeah. I got, I got a commission for the Telegraph on my, the Mild Beer Revival. I don't know if you've heard of that. No, not at all. Well, it seems to be breweries that are well known for their hazies, their hazy juices, right. are now um, making milds. So um, there's a new um, food and drink editor there. I know him, and he put it on Twitter last week. You know, I've, I've written for them for ages, years, but he just said ideas. So I sent him that. And but it's the usual thing. Can you have it by Friday morning? I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to London tomorrow morning. First thing, I've got a funeral in the morning. And then I've got several hours. Then I've got to go back to St. John's restaurant. You know, the one Henderson, Fergus no. Henderson, you know, nose and tail guy. Right. Uh, the wake. Only for, I'm, and then I'm going to Ansbach and Hob Day for an evening tasting and talk. So, and I've got to try and write in the middle of it all. So, I, but yeah, I, I, I just got know. back from Florida, and uh, oh yeah, as usual, sampling the, the incredible craft beer there it was just mind blowing. Where were you in Florida? Where was I? I was in Orlando. So okay, uh, it's mainly like Cigar City and Victory. Yeah, uh, oh. Swamp Head. There was some dog. There was some Dogfish Head there as well, and there was oh, right. stuff of yeah. Kentucky Brewery. They, it's a weird thing in America. You can't, you can only sell to certain states and all that sort of thing. So, yeah. like, Dolphish had a Delaware, I think. Yes. Uh, so, quite a way. Um, you said Victory. That's the ones in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Isn't it? That's where I first, yeah, that's where I first sampled them years and years and years ago. But they do, yeah. they do my favorite triple, which is Golden Monkey. Oh, I know that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember, it used to be, it used to be sold at Safeways. Really? And the IPA did. Um, well, the reason being, this was about 2004. Right. Um, the beer buyer was a guy called Glenn Payne, who sadly died several years back. And he used to, every autumn and spring, I think it was, he would invite beer writers to a tasting of new products. And I remember going to one in about 2003 or four, And um, it was the first time I had um, Goose Island IPA. Okay. He was... He was bringing in Goose Island IPA. He was bringing in Dogfish Head. He was bringing in, oh yeah, about two or three Dogfish Head beers. Yeah. He was bringing in Dewar. I think he was bringing in Dewars, Dewars, Dewars. You know that champagne. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So Glenn, you know, I mean, then of course when Morrison bought them, he took, you know, but at the time Safeway was one of the best places to get beer in the country. You know, it was mental because a while back Tesco started Tesco started selling Flying Dog. Just out of the blue, completely yeah. out of the blue. Um, and there's a, there's a there's a brewery over in Georgia which sends all the stuff over to Florida one called Terrapin. Oh, I know of them. Yeah, yeah. Their IPA hey. is incredible. Their hops executioner. Wow. Yeah, I remember. Cause I, oh God, I remember about four years ago when Marks and Sparks used to have Scar Modus Operandi. Is it a Hoppus Operandi or something? Right. Do you remember that one? No. Scar Brewing. About four years ago, because I, I am to, I'm doing work with a, a beer distributor called Eurobooser on Austrian beer. I'm writing some stuff on Austrian beer, but um, I was just looking at their website today and it's like, oh god, yeah, Modus Hopperanda. I remember that. It was a lovely 7.5 percent IPA, American, and you know, it was, and it didn't sell. 
So they were selling them off for about £1.20 or something. And I was just oh, buying loads of it. And, so uh, so where did your love affair with beer begin then, Adrian? Um, when did it begin? Yeah. God. Well, I don't know if it was a love affair, but I do remember my first taste of beer. It must have been when I was about 10. Right. Uh, my grandfather, my father's father, he was a beer man. I mean, I only met him when I was about 10. He buggered off from Llandidno in North Wales to Birmingham in the 30s, left my dad alone in the lurch with his mother. And uh, But he was a pub man, apparently. I didn't know him very well. And um, But he, he was living my, with his sister, my great aunt, and she put him in the shed because she took lodgers in. And um, <laughs> and they were all lads from... You're South Wales, aren't you? I couldn't... Uh, see, this is, this is what's weird, because I'm originally from Liverpool... But I moved down to Wales, yeah. so I sound like I'm from Cardiff, and I've never lived in Cardiff for a day in my life. Oh, so, funny, because people say about living in Llandino, you sound like a scouser. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, anyway, he, um, he, she was, she was stupid. She, she put him in the garden shed, and you know, he was in his late 60s, early 70s, had a stroke. And, but I do remember going in an outhouse in, the, in her place, and there was. Um, uh, a case, not a case, um, a crate of empties. Right. And I, you know, my memory thinks, I think it might be double diamond. And so, of course, being 10, 10, you taste it. And all I can remember is the sweetness and this bitterness, which obviously later on. And then my grandmother, his ex-wife, my grandfather's ex-wife, she then about a year or so later, when my parents split up, I see my dad on a Sunday and go for lunch with her. So, um, Mackerson. I used to try a Mackerson. Right. I thought it was horrible. It tasted like <laughs> Joan of Arc after the big burn at the stake. And um, my love affair with beer was a really, you know, I went into my, I had my first beer in a pub when I was 15. Right. And, you know, in those days, there were no IDs or anything, but you had to be careful. Um, but I didn't really like the taste of beer, you know. Um, okay. I used to drink cider. I used to drink Strongbow. When I, used to, I mean, we, we used to regularly go to the pub in the sixth form on a Friday night, and I, <clears throat> on the way back, stop at the chip shop and buy a sachet, sachet of brown sauce so I could disguise my breath when I got in. I mean, I don't know if it worked or not. But I would tell my mother that, oh, I'm, I'm over at my mate Keith's, we're tasting his homebrew, you know. Um, so a love affair, though, I think the real love affair really started, yeah, uh, in my, oh, I suppose in college, you right. know. I went to um, what is now called Ruskin university in cambridge was the, like the polytechnic you know not the uni but my mates were from yorkshire and we all used to go out a lot and you know they were climbers i was a walk you know mountaineer and we, so we used to go on trips and they always had their um good beer guides and everything like that and i was always drinking lager right Holstein lager um and i remember them i wrote about it recently i remember them asking me what my local beer was and i went um i don't know Wrexham lager um you know <laughs> so um yeah I mean, but the real, I think the real time, I think it was during the, during my 20s when I really started enjoying beer. Right. You know, I'm going to see a mate of mine um, in um, uh, the Netherlands and, you know, he'd say, oh, if you want to try this Duvel, uh, oh. I don't know, you, yeah. I have a memory in Eindhoven of about 1988 of having eight bottles of Duvel as well as a few lagers beforehand, and coming out of this bar and actually holding on to a lamppost, because I thought, bro, where am I? And next day, we, you know, that was the time when we the, the, the Channel Tunnel hadn't opened, so we were used to get the boat train. And we were going, me and my then girlfriend were going back 
something like six o'clock. And I think I only felt well enough to sort of get out of bed at three o'clock that afternoon. <laughs> um, Those beers are immensely strong and they go down so easily as well. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, oh. I mean, I still really like double. Um, I can actually ask for it in Flemish. A friend told me, <laughs> double, Aldersplicht. I mean, she'd probably correct me on that one, but, um, you know, uh, I went to the brewery about eight years ago, I think it was. Right. And, uh, you know, it's just like this forest of stainless steel and, you know, with the hiss of compressors and, you know, you, it's, yeah, it's, that's the modern brewery, really. But, um, so, so I don't know, the love affair was a slow burn. Right. So when did you start writing about beer? Well, I've been a journalist for 40 years. I started off writing about rock music. I used to re- review albums okay. and um, live gigs and interview bands, but I was also uh, what we call the production editor, so I was getting the magazine together as yeah. well. So I was working on this um, pop magazine called Number One, and um, it was like, you know, it was like the, it was the competitor to smash hits. Right. And um, I, yeah, I, I just used to, you know, the, the the writers, the staff writers, would be like hanging out with Frankie Goes to Hollywood and Culture Club. You know, they'd be interviewing them. While my editor would say, "Oh, can you interview um, New Order for me?" Uh, yes, I will. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> can you interview the Sisters of Mercy? Yes, yes, that's fine. So I get all that stuff, right. which is brilliant. And but I was also doing freelance. But you know, again, throughout the early, I mean, I I do remember in the eighties, mid eighties, getting very excited. When I found out that Budweiser, you know, the actual Czechoslovakian one, yeah, no, no, the American one, but okay. was actually being brewed in London because it was really hard to get hold of before, and it had a mystique. Right. Um, in, my, in my late teens, early twenties, um, living in Cambridge, you know, you had all the air bases, the American air bases, and our drummer, because I was in a band, and our drummer, who is now this massive DJ in America called DJ Harvey. He had done a gig with a show band there and he came back with some Budweiser or Bud. And we're all going, blimey, it's supposed to be really good because it's got rice in it, you know. And uh, power of advertising, eh? Yeah, and, indeed. Uh, you know, I do remember when it started being brewed in London. I think it was at Mortlake. Um, I can't remember what the name of the brewery is. I think it's brewed out there still. And, and it's, it's, it's an irony. It's just a little digression. When um, Michael, you know Michael Jackson, the beer writer, Michael, the beer hunter. Yes, yes. When he died in 2007, I, I went to the funeral and there was, you know, it was very much American brewers there, beer, British brewers, British beer writers, you know, all, all those that knew him. And um, we were, some of us were very um, amused by the fact we were in a place called Mortlake, given that the <laughs> advice. And we thought Michael would like the irony of that. Um, but yeah, it was only when I started. I was interested in writing, I was interested in reading about wine in the nineties. I was always interested in reading about food, like Elizabeth David, Jane Grigson, and not just recipes, but you know the culture of food and culture of wine. And I, I read Michael Jackson. Uh, I got given a book of his by a mother of an, uh, yeah, a girlfriend, a long ago I split up with in the late eighties for Christmas. I can look and see it on the shelves there, and I loved the way he wrote in the Independent about beer. And I was always a bit suspicious of camera, which is an irony now that I'm a member and I've done several books through. I give give the new um, book as well, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but the thing was, I felt that camera was probably I didn't have a very happy experience with the student unions in um, 
in college because I just think they just talk load of old, you know, it just used to go on and on and on, procedure. And I thought, oh, it's going to be like bloody student union, you know, or an NUJ meeting, you know, as a member of the NUJ. So, but, um, so I just read Jackson and I, and I just really got interested in it. And my first article was in 1996 in What's Brewing, which was a separate newspaper for camera at the time. Right. And it was about a brewery. I mean, we'd moved out of London in 94. We were living in the countryside in Somerset. And I got involved with the local camera branch and I interviewed this brewery called Moore Brewery. You've heard of Moore, the current one in Bristol? Yeah, double um, they, they, they produce yeah. some really nice beer. Yeah, well, they, this was the original owner, a farmer who set it up in 1996. And I just, I, I think Roger Protz, the then editor, uh, you know, the venerable beer writer, Roger, he um, actually strike out the word venerable. I think, hey. <laughs> um, but he, um, he put a thing in what's brewing, you know, looking for new writers. So yeah. I sent in an idea and I said, this is my experience. And um, yeah, I had my first article 26 years ago in September. Oh. And I guess I did the camera newsletter you know, it was, a, it was a every three months and they just, the guy that done it before, I mean, he wasn't a journalist and I was just asked, you know, could you do it? And that was great because I thought, right, I don't want to just write about the price of beer or, um, you know, uh, you'd, you'd have to let members write stuff about. Um, and then we went on this trip somewhere, you know, but we also, you know, I was also asking people to write about American beers and everything. And it just sort of slowly steamrolled from there. I had some good breaks you know, I met people who said, well, I can get you some work in a magazine. And I I just, I got my first book in 2000, 20 years ago, 2002, West Country Ales. And by then I was writing quite regularly. Right. And I was doing tastings with an events company in 2000. And I mean, I also joined the British School of Beer Writers in 1999. So I was going on trips and I'm a great believer in networking. Right. I'm a great believer in knowing people. And a great believer in, um, well, helping people myself because I've been helped. Yeah. Um, so, well, if you want to find out about this, talk to this person and they'll be able to help you. Um, so, yeah, it just, you know, I mean, beer writing doesn't make you shed a load of money. <laughs> no. Anyone out there who's like thinking about doing it. But um, it's, I've always wanted to do what I, I enjoy doing. You know, I could have made loads of money by staying on in the music industry. Uh, rock press uh, maybe gone high up in, in sort of publishing and stuff but I just lost interest in it you know and I have a very freelance mentality is I remember I, I once I once through uh, in the late 90s no late 80s I left a job on a magazine I actually went freelance I still had the job but I just didn't I, I went I left being staff on the down on the the roll of a coin and uh, I remember saying to the editor look I don't mind being freelance deputy editor but I'd rather wake up on a Monday morning and think you know what I fancy listening to some Wagner today rather right. than going into the office <laughs> yeah I didn't but, but, but um, yeah I I think you know writing about beer a lot of people I mean it's a bit better than it used to be but people say you write about beer just they're drinking all day and um, no, not really. I mean, you know, wine writers aren't asked that question. And the other one I used to get from people who had a lot more money than me, and they'd say, you've got the best job in the world. And i think, no, you're a managing director. You've got the best job in the world. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. why, why, 200, why 250 beers? In the United Kingdom of Beer, your, your latest book, it's 250 beers 
from Britain that, you know, bottles and cans that we've all got to try. Why 250? Why, why that magic well, number? Um, well, if you do, well, that's the thing. If you did 200, do 250, the next number you'd have to think about would be 500. Right. And the next number for that would be maybe 1,000 or 1,001, in which case you can't do it because 1,001 beers you must try before you die is a trademark. And I'm a, I am actually edited three editions of that book, so I think... There's an, I think there's an edition of it somewhere on, on one of these shelves. Yeah, so. you got a Yeah. Have you got the first edition or the second Last one. or the third? Third. Yeah. I, you know, it really... I, I did it about four years ago. It really pissed me off um, that the publisher was saying, we can change 50 beers, and I'm going, the whole thing needs changing. You know, you've got an entry for Beavertown. Nothing to say about them getting into bed with Heineken. You know, you've got beers that are no longer available, breweries that are no longer brewing. Um, and they say, no, you can just change 50. And it's like... So 250 is manageable. Right. Also, it's about... I mean, we based the word count on 300 words a beer. I mean, you know, I've, I've uh, you know, you could do just like 50 words for a beer, but then, you know, I wanted, I wanted, my my reasoning behind what I wanted to write was I wanted the breweries, the brewers, to tell the story of the beers. Right. You know, I didn't. I mean, there's occasionally ones where I couldn't get hold of them or they were too busy to help me out, uh, and I just went off on one of my sort of um, digressions, <laughs> but. Um, you know, I it's just fascinating. When I first started around about beer, you'd ask a brewer, why have you brewed this beer? And they'd go, well, the marketing department said uh, we didn't have a 4.4 beer, a copper beer in that uh, alcohol strength. And it's like, oh, right, there's no romance there. Yeah. Uh, and coming from a music, you know, writing about interviewing pop stars who would give you the most, sometimes the most ridiculous answers about why they've written a song, but they were still entertaining. I mean, now I think, you know, you're getting... I mean, I've had um, once a brewer said to me, oh, my ideas for my, my beers come from music, food, flavours and dreams. And I thought, yes, that's what I like. And um, so three, 250 is manageable. We worked out the amount of chapters. I think it's about seven or eight. I can't remember yeah. exactly. And, you know, it, it obviously, you, they ha you know, the, the practical aspect of it is, how many pages is it going to be? And, you know, if you, uh, this is our budget for this amount of pages, right, therefore, right. and I'm like saying I actually want a page for a beer. I want at least 300 words for each beer. And then they say, right, okay, we're going to... So we, we, 250 is quite a neat amount. And, you know, going back to 1001, there are some people who've tried to drink every beer in the book. Uh, I, I, I couldn't even begin to do that because there are some styles of beer that I will not... Virginia, I, I won't drink a lager. I just uh, for some reason, really? yeah, really. I, I, I know good lager is, is, is an institution in itself, yeah. but it's there's something about lagers which I always find I don't know bland and sort of effortless. What's your favorite beer style, then? IPA and, uh, right. and Imperial Stout. So, I mean, I like them, I like most beers. I mean, one of the few beer styles. Well, I don't know if it's a style, but you know the sort of emergence in the last 10 years of sour beers, what we call right. sour beers. yeah, yeah. I think some of them I find undrinkable sometimes. They're so tart. They're so, almost like acid battery, not that I've ever drank acid battery. <laughs> um, but sometimes when they're good, they're really good. Yeah. Um, and I was a snob about mild, you know, the the style, the old, what I used to call the old man style. And now I've started to have... Miles from the likes of Elusive, Left-Handed Giant, um, Five Points, and I'm, I'm going, 
yeah, okay, give me that plate with all those words on it and I'll start eating. Um, because, yeah, I mean, so, you know, going back to the book, um, we're trying to give a broad spectrum of the best, what I regard, because this is my choice of beers. No, absolutely, yeah, yeah. No one has said to me, camera didn't say, well, we need this beer in. No one, a, a brewery hasn't said, well, look, if you if you put this beer in, you know, we'll do this, we'll send you this beer. But it's all my choice. And there are breweries in there which some people might think unfashionable, but, you know, they brew, like, for instance, one brewery, I won't name it, they brew a fantastic barley wine, you know. Um, and I thought, yeah, that's got to be in there. Um, so, yeah, I just try to spread it. Um, amongst a lot of the styles. I mean, the one new thing in it was low alcohol. Right. My editor uh, said, suggested that we, we have a, a low alcohol chapter. And, you know, I don't know if you're aware, the, the quality of low alcohol beers has really soared in the last several years. Yeah, well, the last uh, 10 years, but beforehand, like, uh, I think the last time I drank uh, a no alcohol beer before I did a low alcohol, maybe last week. Um, yeah, it was dreadful. It just tasted awful. And then well, the, the, the difference between now and then was it's just incredible because yeah, because last week was was wonderful. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I know. Well, I never tried them, and I've written several articles now about low alcohol beers. And um, my my local pub in Exeter, um, you know, amidst the dayers and the you, you know, you wouldn't like this then, Utopian Lagers, there's a really great brewery <laughs> that does absolutely fantastic riffs on continental, you know, Central European beers. Um, but there is a big drop, 0.5% beer. And, you know, I've been in there and they know what I, you know, the staff know what I order a lot of the time. Uh, and it's like their jaws drop. And I said <laughs> two weeks ago, I'll have the big drop, please. And they went, what? Are you all right? Um <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, so that that was a unique thing I think about the book, um, and um, yeah, so what what I tried to do was get the brewers to tell the story, but also my, my way of writing about the beers because my last book was called The Seven Moods of Craft Beer, right? And uh, it was about three years ago, and I won a major award with that, and that was about that was three hundred and fifty beers. <laughs> <laughs> you like the, you like the fifty on the end, don't you? Well, it was, it's the publishers a lot of the time that dictate, you know. I mean, you're just the writer. Um, and they were short to reviews, actually. They were only about 100 words. Right. And they were very impressionistic, you know. I mean, I didn't didn't talk to any brewers. Um, and it was very much what mood that beer made me feel like. Right. Like, for instance, I had beers that were social moods, you know, the sort of chatting beers you get in the pub with your friends and all that. Um, contemplated beers, you know, like your... Imperial Stouts, yeah. Yeah, well, you sit on a, in a chair with uh, your favourite author on your lap and a book that is, and um, you know you really, the, weather, the weather's awful outside. Um, yes, and um, bucolic beers, as in like saisons, which have their roots in the countryside. So I put a bit of that in United Kingdom of beer as well. So, but I thought rather than being, I can I have been accused of pretentiousness sometimes. I've actually been in, you know, Private Eyes, um, Suits Corner. Yes. I've been in it twice <laughs> over the last 10 years. Oh, no. um, I once compared an IPA, I once compared a beer to a Martin Amis novel. And another time about an IPA, I brought in 
anvils, you know, sparks coming off anvils in a Wagnerian hall <laughs> and Paul Gauguin painting in the Pacific. You know, I mean, it was a bit more sophisticated than the way I've said it, but I brought in right. because that's what I've always felt. I mean, that was, for me, that's been the way I write is, you know, obviously you write for different, you know, I do a beer of the week in the Daily Star. I've only got 145 words and I really, you know, it's like you learn over the years how to tailor your your writing for your readers. Right. You know, who's reading this? What what sort of reader would like this? Um, so with the Daily Star, I'm not going to write something completely impressionistic and surrealist. And the same with the Telegraph. You know, I've got to write a story. I've got a story to tell, but it's got to be plain English. But then when you have magazines, you know, where you've got more space, you've got 1,500 words, you can chuck in the odd reference that people might go, eh? But then they might think, oh, I get that. And, um, you know, I was taught very early on and I, 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 I've been retaught it and retaught it. My, my wife's a journalist and my, in the early days she used to read my um, beer stuff, even though she had no interest in it. And um, she used to say, yeah, that's lovely, that sentence, but what does it mean to the whole story? And it's the same when I was started writing for The Telegraph on rural issues about 14 years ago. Um, I met my editor at the time as well, said the same thing. And it was like, it's a lovely sentence, but what's it? What's it add to the story? Yeah, but it conjures so, up an yeah. image of what how it makes you feel at the time. It conjures up an image of what the beer is doing to you. It's like somebody said to me, "What's your favorite Imperial Stout?" And it, it's Sierra Nevada do this one called Narwhal. Oh, I know, it's lovely. Yeah, and it's it's like the first time you read Moby Dick and you get lost yeah. in the story. That's that's how it tastes. That's the image it conjures up. Like that's the storm swept season, you know. It's just it's a wonderful beer. But it took yeah. a wonderful book, like you said. That's what Imperial Stouts do, that you just want to sit down and read and just drift away. Yeah. I know, I know. It's actually in, Norwell is, is in your, will be in your edition of Sounds and One. Yes. It was done by my friend Pete Brown, the writer, because um, I remember him tasting it. And I said, look, I'd, I'd like five beers from you. And he's like, well, I've got to put this in. I've just t- tried it. It's wonderful. So, yeah. Oh yeah, God! I've got to drive later, hence I would love an imperial sound now. Oh, yeah, you, you're not the only one. Um, I've got to take the dog out, yeah. and I've got you've got to cook dinner and do all the, all the you know usual things you do after a day at work, like so. So yeah, yeah. If you had to choose one style of beer to recommend to somebody who was beginning their own beer adventure, that most epitomised the modern beer revolution, what would it be? If you wanted to know what the juicy pale, the juicy hazy pales, what the the um, the most crucial beer to try of the juicy modern pale beers, mm. I would recommend Dea's Steady Rolling Man. Right, five point two. It's got it's got plenty of juicy fruitiness on it, a dryness in the finish, and a cleanness about the fruitiness as well. Um, if you wanted to start your beer journey on that. If you wanted to start your beer journey on the IPAs, whew, this is the, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, oh, well, of course, Jaipur by Thornbridge. Oh, it's absolutely magnificent, though. Yeah. Um, you know, if you really want to know how the British um, uh, craft beer revolution, so-called revolution, started, right. it's Jaipur. I know some people say it's changed since... It was first brewed in 2005, 
But as far as I know, I mean, the thing is, beers do change um, subtly because the crops are not always the same. You know, the malt mm. isn't always the same. The hops aren't always the same. It's very subtle. Um, the brewing process will change, you know, as, as more developments happen. And even maybe the yeast, I mean, they'll try and keep the yeast the same. But I think Jaipur is one of those beers, if you want to say to someone, this is a modern British IPA, yeah. I think it's Thornbridge's Jaipur. It is a good it beer. Is. It's a really, a really good beer. Did you know that when, when that was first developed, the two brewers at Thornbridge was an Italian, Stefano Cossi, and a Scotsman. Who went on to brew dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I was there. I went to the brewery in 2005, and you know, we we we'd actually been in Sheffield earlier on in the day uh, at the Fat Cat uh, pub in Sheffield, right. which is the home of Island City, Kellam Island Brewery. And um, and so we went out there after lunch, and 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 they said they said yeah they said oh the brewers you know we've got a scotsman and a, an italian and they've gone home though <laughs> so, i mean i have met, i have met martin dickey several times since and chatted with him about the thornbridge days actually um but um and there was always this rumor that punk ipa was 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 punk ipa jaipur but i don't know barely disguised but that's the thing so it's thornbridge really started but brewdog sort of took i don't know maybe the credit and claim the credit? Well, it, I always thought it was a bit like, um, you know, if I went back to the punk days mm. um, when I was, you know, pretty young, but I was really, uh, I used to like the Clash a lot because they had a bit more depth. Right, so, Sex Pistols. Yeah, Thorn, Thornbridge of the Clash and Brewdog of the Sex yeah. Pistols, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah you know, um, because they did all that stuff swearing on the telly <laughs> and everything. And, um, I mean, I'll be honest, I'm not really enamoured of, Brewdog's beers at the. Are you there? We seem to have frozen. Hello, we seem to have frozen. So much choice. Right, we seem to have fr- Oh. Damn it. Sorry about that, we seem to have got bumped. Hey? We seem to have got bumped. I seem to have been bumped off the internet. Sorry. That's all right. Um, what was that? I was on about Brewdog, wasn't I? Yeah. Uh, um, you know, it's just like, I thought craft beer was all about choice. Right. But you go somewhere and, you know, it's all bloody Brewdog. Um, and I just find the slow, I mean, people people say, oh, I'm disappointed, you know, what happened to the punk rock thing? And I think, I often said, you were, you were taken in by that punk rock thing. Yeah. I mean, I used to like their beers. Um, and I've interviewed both of them several times. I've been up to the brewery, and I thought, you know, I thought that things were, I thought they were doing good stuff beer-wise. Um, but but it, just don't seem, it just seems to be stuff for the supermarkets, you know. Like they were doing that sour, sour beer facility, which they spent, I don't know, a million quid on. Um, I think I've seen a couple of them, beers in, in Tesco or something. Maybe there you have to buy them off their website or something. And there was all the barrel-age stuff. And I remember trying a 13% 
IPA, Barrel Aged IPA with Martin once, and it was like really fascinating. Right. But I wonder what happened to that. You know, you can't hold it forever. Um, you know, presumably he's going to use it as a blend. And then there was there was a great double IPA they used to do called Hardcore. Do you remember that? Yes, yes. It was fantastic. I loved that beer. Um, yeah, that was ruinous. That was. Um, I just remember <laughs> oh, having several yeah. pints of that in a brew dog in London and about eight years ago. Like, mm, what have I done to this? You know, but, um, <laughs> We're going to the- things change. We got invited to the Brewdog opening in Cardiff, and that was a yeah. me- that was a messy, messy, messy night because you just want to try yeah. everything they've got on tap there, and it, yeah, it did not end well. So it ended well for them, but not for me. Got, yeah, they've got one here in Exeter. I think I've been there once when it opened. Right. I went with my son, who's um, 20, what, 22 at the time, and he's like, you know, um, he's <laughs> it's so funny. I say, we'll go for a couple of pints, mate. You know, and he goes, yeah, all right. And then he goes, oh, I'll have something to eat as well. And so I'm all right, then let's have a look at the prices. Oh, bloody hell. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. He, son works in, in the industry now, works at um, Orbit Brewery in South London. Don't know it. They do a beer called, their, their, their sort of um, main beer, something called Nico, after the singer. Right. N-I-C-O. Um, they're very good operate he's operations not brewing you know sort of making sure everything gets done and all that and yeah he seems to be enjoying it um so and it, you know that was just him saying one day do you know what i think i'd like to have a go at the brewing industry me and my wife were like what you know uh, it's so funny when he came over the weekend i think my wife got used to it it's like we, we went out for coffee the three of us and uh james and i are just talking about the industry and he keeps saying Dad, shut up. Sorry, Mum. <laughs> <laughs> but it just becomes an all-encompassing thing, doesn't it? I mean, like, we had Tiny Rebel up down here. And then this, yeah. they've gone from uh, just being, well, with this little brewery, do you want to try our beers at Business Awards, to this mammoth yeah. thing where you can find them everywhere. And their beers are generally yeah. really good. I, 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 I've met the guys there a couple of times, um, but... The only thing I find about Tiny Rebel, they do a lot of these sweet shop beers, you know, yeah. beers with which yeah. I'm not a great fan. But I do understand. I mean, that's the thing about beer. I mean, I, I, you know, in the book, I talk to various people, and you know, there's a brewery in Birmingham called Antic. Yeah, Antic was it right. Antic? Attic, I think Attic. Who what was it? Attic. Oh, God, Attic. Yeah. Anyway, they do a mild. You know, they're in Birmingham, so they do a mild. And, uh, you know, I was emailing the brewer for his thoughts on it, and he was saying, yeah, I'd love to do it more often, but it's the low-alcohol, hazy pails that keep the lights on. You know, and you learn something talking to brewers, because it's all very well, you know, a beer writer says, oh, you know, that beer I like writing about, that beer, though. But it's a business. It's like anything else, you know. Um, They have to... They have to get people to buy their beers more than once, and um, and another issue, you know, there's this thing where sometimes people do smoothie beers, you know, come out for a soft serve or yeah, something. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it's easy for me to go, oh bloody hell! But I was talking to Jager at uh, Wildcard, Jager Wise once, and she was saying the thing is, something like that causes a sort of discussion at the tap, at the bar of the tap room, and you get people who don't normally drink beer having. I mean, Drinking beer. And you're hoping that this is their turn, you know, yeah. uh, because that's the great thing about sour. That's why I think they're very popular for some people because they don't really like the sort of heft and weight of beers with malt and hops, but a sour is more akin to a white wine. 
possibly or champagne or something. And, you know, it's got that acidity that right. I remember a wine writer. In, uh, the only, I did a tasting at a grandly called the Devon School of Wine. Um, it was a farmhouse and I think there were about six people there. And I did a, a beer tasting with food. And the only beer that everyone liked was um, a Belgium. Uh, because Belgians, you know, Belgian brewers and writers would say, no, it's not sour, it's maybe acidic. A, a red, Flanders red, West Flanders red, I can't remember, but it was one of those, you know, interesting beers. Right. And um, everyone liked it because they're all saying, we're wine drinkers, we like the acidity here. And you don't get acidity teenager from one or the other. Um, so beer is always my preferred tipple. Uh, so to speak, and I hate the word tipple. I don't know why I used it. It's one of those words I always ban when I'm editing something. Okay, so to wind things up, people can buy your book off Amazon, correct? Or Barnes and yes, oh, oh, oh. Camera website as well. And um, <laughs> Zoom, you are being dreadful tonight. Hello. I appear to have frozen again. You froze again. Yeah. So you say that's so any book, so it's from Camera's website, from Amazon, from Waterstones. It's right on Amazon. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, from Camera, where you get a discount if you remember. Oh, again, I have frozen again. So we're going to need to find out what the code is. Um, and it's you know I'm some of the breweries in the oh dear right hello yeah 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 it's it's my internet is playing up dreadfully tonight so People buy your book off off Amazon. People can buy your book in Waterstones and they can get it off camera. And they should go and get it because? They should get it because. You, I'm not very good at that sort of thing. <laughs> they should get it because it will help you make your beer life a lot more pleasant and pleasing. And the beers I've chosen in there are some of the, are, in my view, the best in the in the country, in bottle and can, and you know, for us to lead a good beer life, we need to always go for the best. Perfect, Adrian. Thank you for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Bye bye. See you again. Uh, okay. Okay. Bye bye. Zoom, I could kill you. Great interview, wonderful bloke, and you've got to do that to us. Ugh. 
See, I told you it was worth it, didn't I? There you go. That was Adrian Tierney Jones talking about his latest book, United Kingdom of Beer. I suggest you folks go out and get it now. So uh, that's about it for this episode. So let's finish the right way with, you guessed it, Adrenaline OD. This song is Pizza and Beer. It's taken from the Humongous Fungus Among Us LP, which is out on Beer City Records. And one day, folks, I promise I'll get Dave and Bruce from the band to come in and talk to us on the show. But until next time, here's Adrenaline OD and ta-ta! Motherfucker!